Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. Why ground control parenting? Because we're not trying to be helicopter parents, but we do need to be on that tarmac, that ground control crew, making sure our kids have what they need for a successful takeoff. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. My daughter and two sons are in their 20s, and I've been writing about parenting and education issues for more than a decade. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. I am so excited that our guest today is my dear friend, Ann Williams-Isom. Ann is the CEO of the Harlem Children's Zone, which all of you should know about, but just in case you don't, it's an organization that's helping thousands of children and families disrupt the cycle of generational poverty in Harlem through its innovative educational and social service programs. She's a native New Yorker, and she and her husband, Philip Isom, are the parents of Ayana, who's 27, Philip, who's 24, and their daughter, Andy, who's 18. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Carol. And so thank you so much for inviting me. And I say that I talk a lot about a, about a lot of things, but I actually don't get to talk about my own parenting. So thank you very much. I'm very excited about the conversation. Oh, good, good. Me too. And I feel like it's, it's just a continuation of the conversation we have been having for years. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that our listeners get to be a part of it. So we met when our sons were both in middle school and they were in the same middle school. And we've been talking about them and our other children since then. And that's a long time ago. Yes. (laughs) And you've always been so focused on and thoughtful about parenting, both professionally, of course, but personally as well. And I love that you bring to this conversation all your professional expertise and your remarkable good common sense on parenting issues. So you've got a lot of great perspectives, stories and wisdom to share. So Uh get going. I hope so. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) No pressure. Exactly. So as a way to begin each podcast conversation, I like to cite some advice that I give to parents often. And I say, it's important to parent the child you have, not the child you were or the one you want. And so let's talk about the child you were. Okay. Little Anne Anne Williams. Now, I was about to say Anne Robin Williams <laughs> because I only I know you mostly as Robin, mm-hmm. and I thought Robin was your middle name, but it is not. No. So it's a it's a great story, and it does talk about. I think tells a lot about how I was parented. So I am the youngest of four. My oldest brother Neil is nine years older than me, and my brother Purnell was eight years older than me, and my brother Stephen was six years older than me. So when I came along, it was quite a surprise. <laughs> and so my father's mother's name was Louise, and um, they put Anne on it. So my actually uh, the name on my birth certificate is Anne hyphen Louise. Oh. When they came home to the boys and said that we were going to call this baby girl Anne Louise, they all said no. Neil had a crush on a girl in his class, and her name was Robin. So they decided that they were going to call me Robin. So all of my family and friends, my husband, everybody calls me Robin. And it's been my nickname forever. But I say it was lovingly given to me by my three older brothers. And so it was very interesting because to be the youngest and the only girl, Mm -hmm. I really grew up in a very loving, caring. I have my hand out right now, and I'm putting myself in the middle of that hand Mm -hmm. and said that Mm -hmm. they really covered me and protected me as I grew up. So it was a very nice environment in terms of my relationship with my siblings and my mom. So in ways that I'm sure I will get through throughout this broadcast, we, this podcast, we have so much in common. And one of the things I just learned that we have in common is how we got our names. Because my my name is Carol, and I have two older brothers, but my older brother, Paul, four and a half years older than I, was engaged as to, was brought into the conversation as to what to name me. 
And he had a favorite babysitter named Karen. <laughs> and so he may either have been trying to say Karen or said something that sounded like Karen. They funny. heard Carol. And they're like, we'll go oh, with we it. we like it. Okay, good. There we go. So there's a tip, it's a tip about parenting. Get your kids involved. <laughs> I know. Or, or maybe not. <laughs> That's funny. So, okay, so you've, you've already created a really interesting family dynamic. You're the only girl. And you're the baby girl. Yeah. And I know that you were raised by a single mom. Correct. And... You've talked about the dynamics of um, of, of that mm-hmm. and of and of being in you in Queens. What part of yeah, Queens? Yeah, Springfield Gardens, Queens. Springfield Gardens. So um, it's an interesting story, and I think as I have gotten older and really tried to understand what the source is of my inspiration for the work that I do now in child welfare and child well-being and education. My mom um, was the youngest of fourteen, and mm. she grew up in Trinidad and Tobago. And her mom died in childbirth with her, Ooh. so she was really raised by the nuns in um, the convent in Port of Spain, and so came here when she was 24, and there was very early um, trouble in her marriage. And she became a victim of domestic violence. So I say to people, when your mom is a victim of domestic violence, it means that the children are too. So I love that I started with this kind of really loving, embracing conversation about what I grew up with. But before that, when I was six, because my parents got divorced when I was six, it was a very scary time in Mm -hmm. our household. Mm -hmm. And the concept of the eruptions of anger or not really the inconsistency of things are happy and then all of a sudden things are not. And so I've really realized the importance of consistency in a child's life and Mm -hmm. the importance of those first couple of years to really have stability and calmness. And so as I've gotten older and I've understood the um, research around ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and how when certain things can happen to children, it can have long-term effects on literally how their brains are developed or how they emotionally respond to things. And so we're seeing the emotional effects, but the also physical effects that can happen for children that are put in traumatic situations. And so you'll know stress, there's good stress and there's bad stress. Mm -hmm. And so to really pour in that kind of bad stress so early in children's lives can be quite traumatic. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel like my mom then provided us with this resilience and togetherness and got through that, got a divorce. We were actually even able to have a good relationship with my father afterwards. and so each one of my siblings, I think you could see, like my brother, like maybe 14, 13, 12, and what that period of time and how we have incorporated it and how I think for all four of us made us actually pretty fantastic parents, somehow understanding what kids need and being able to be attentive to that. I don't know how good we are as um, spouses, but I know that we're pretty good as um, as parents. So that, I think it, it's interesting when you said don't parent, you know, the child that you wish you had or the child that you were. But I think that all of those experience of what we grow up with, mm-hmm. conscious or unconscious, kind of affects how we parent. Absolutely. And when I say that, I, I don't mean ignore the child that you were. But so many of us come into parenting only having the experience of being parented. Right. And so we just, if it was good, we parent Mm -hmm. in that direction. Mm -hmm. And if it was bad, Mm -hmm. we just do the opposite. Mm -hmm. And that in of itself is not enough guidance. Correct. I mean, what was good when you were little may not be good now. Correct. And so just... Having the awareness to to you start with a good yeah. you start with the foundation whatever it is good or bad yeah you you examine it you acknowledge it correct and then you try to move on from it you, you take the best out of it and you keep going yes I just want to stop a second and ask a little bit more though 
you know, uh, the you were six, so yes. your experiences in a very fraught household were were limited. They were important and important years, formative years, but they were short. Correct. So your oldest brother Correct. had a much longer stretch, in, yes. I would imagine, in yes. that same circumstance. Yeah. And I think even when you think about gender, because mm-hmm. I can actually remember my brothers trying to defend my mom mm. and that kind of dynamic that would have come up for them where I was kind of maybe just crying and scared. There were periods of times when eventually they didn't want that to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think thinking, you know, when we talk about, oh, kids are different. Yes, they're different. And even though I say to people, we lived in the same belly and <laughs> then we also had the same experience because we were all different ages and different genders, we get together, we tell that story and it sounds slightly different depending on where you were developmentally at the time. Absolutely. I can see that. Yeah. So it, your mom sounds amazing in that she was able to uh, get through this. You all understood what was happening, but you watched her take you from a terrible situation to a good one. Yeah. So here's little Anne, little Robin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and 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 little Robin figures out um, – how to do well in school and become a lawyer. Did your mom have expectations academic for you that, and how did she convey them to you? My mom was not the kind of person that was like, all right, you guys got to get A's and you got to go to school. We were, um, we went to the Catholic school, St. Catherine's of Siena. So I remember her feeling or talking to us about kindness and goodness and being good children. And so that was very important. And there were many times when the nuns had to be of assistance to us in one way or the other. So the idea of community was very strong to me. She actually worked 16 hours as a, she was a registered nurse. Mm -hmm. And so I remember my mom working a lot. So I don't remember her sitting at the table and doing homework with me. Mm -hmm. I don't remember her picking me up from school. I remember her being loving, caring, giving us values, putting us in a very good um, school. Mm-hmm. We, I remember I was a good student. All of us were good students. So I'm, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, th- I would maybe say that she created an environment where mm-hmm. we knew what was important and what she wanted for us. And it was that sense of community and values. But she certainly was not a traditional mom that we may say where she was at the table doing homework with us or, you know, or even cooking dinner all the time because she would get home from work at 8 a.m. Mm. get us ready for school then she would probably take a nap and she'd wake up when we were you know at, th- at three and and get us ready but then by 11 10 o'clock she was getting ready to go back to work again wow so it was quite fascinating and my brothers really became like mini dads mm-hmm. to me in that situation wow boy that's so so your brothers watched you over you at correct night? wow <laughs> my brothers watched over me at night and so I know that you believe firmly that Growing up in that manner really helped you. It, it formed you, certainly. It guided you towards your career. Yeah. And it, it helped you. It gave you a really good perspective on what people in various communities would be dealing with. Correct. So, but I want to talk first about your own family. Okay. So you've got, um, you, you come out of your young, your child in a young adulthood, I'm sure feeling, feeling secure and feeling, mm-hmm. feeling grounded and, and doing well. Mm-hmm. So, Considering the 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 loving but but the, the mix of things you got when you were growing up, uh-huh. you started having children. Yep. What was your perspective on on how you interacted with them? Right. So, I mean, the other thing that we should say in this story is that my mom has lived with me from the day that the first one was born. Uh-huh. So she's been with us the whole time. So in a way, she's part of this raising of the kids. And so I think I probably married a man very different than what I thought my dad was like. And so this idea of 
violence or raising your voice or any of that kind of I mean my husband is so laid back so you know you might not even miss him sometimes so like actually as we're talking about that I probably really did want somebody that was not going to be any of that kind of chaos Mm -hmm. and so I and because my mother has always been with me there has been this idea of hands-on mothering Mm -hmm. and always wanting to kind of be involved and we were just going to love them and we were going to get through whatever we needed to get through. And so I kind of feel like Phil and I probably did go into it a little blind. Mm -hmm. And so I had really bad postpartum depression with Ayana, which I didn't even really expect. I kind of got nervous about, does that mean that I'm not going to be a good mom? Because look at how my mom is such a great mother. Now, she's also a midwife. So she was there (laughs) and she took care of Ayana (laughs) while I was going through my stuff, right? And so that little one didn't miss a beat. But I think the idea of what was parenting going to look like. And also, Carol, think about it. I didn't have an internal couple. So I Mm -hmm. didn't know what a married Mm -hmm. couple was going to be like and how we were going to think about parenting. I wish I would have had, and I know we're going to get into this later, a baby college Mm -hmm. or someplace Mm -hmm. to help me figure out what that was going to look like. Mm -hmm. But I think we made a lot of miss, maybe missteps in terms of, you know, do I let her cry at night or do I pick her up? Or do, could I breastfeed? I wasn't successful breastfeeding. And I was like, that was my first task as a mom <laughs> and I failed. And so there were a lot of things that I think were very difficult those first two years mm-hmm. in raising Ayana. So let me ask you this. Having your mom with you from day one is a true blessing on the one hand in that you got somebody who knows what they're doing, particularly somebody who professionally knows yes. what they're doing. But you also have someone who knows what they're doing and knows a way to do it. Yeah. And so do you think in retrospect um, it was was I don't want to say more helpful or less helpful, but do you, you like think were there that downsides? There were, was there a downside in the sense that you knew so many expectations like to be the breastfeeding, et cetera, yeah. because the person who's living with you and it's your mom, right? But is is so much a champion of all the good things to do. So I can't be an ob- objective right. about that because now I have the data right. of what they look like at twenty seven, twenty four, and eighteen, and, and I they look great. And, so right, so I give. 60% of the credit to who they are to my mom. Mm-hmm. So I think whatever complications that that sort of the collective parenting, because it really was a collective parenting, mm-hmm. might have had, I think the upside was just these three really wonderful children who have an incredible relationship with their grandmother to this day mm-hmm. and who um, I think their sense of kindness and generosity and patience, I'm not sure they would have had some of those opportunities if she wasn't right there with them. Mm-hmm. And um, what she was able to teach me about what it means to be to have a you know babies and then to parent adults, which she's still doing mm-hmm. right right now, has been quite incredible. So one thing I've always been impressed about you from the day that I met you is your strong sense of confidence. You exude confidence. I do love the fact that you have a, a personal parenting conference, but that you professionally have have created this amazing career and have done so much for so many children who have not been blessed and privileged with that loving core that you began with. Or, or yes. if they have, it's just right. been in a different series of, of circumstances. So I, I do because um, – there's so much that we could talk about in this podcast. I know, podcast. I know. <laughs> but I, I want to make sure that I talk about certain things. And you mentioned baby college, and yes. I want to talk about that. So I want to talk about the zone, the child, children's zone. Yes. And and how 
that how you were able to bring your sense of the importance of community and the importance of those early years into into this organization. Yeah. So so let's be clear. I am a attorney by training. I was a political science major. So I didn't come to my life thinking that I was going to be doing something with children or with education. And when I look at my background, I think the story of my mom being able to have the church, being able to have neighbors was about things happen. I'm not going to curse on your stuff. Ish happens. <laughs> and if we don't come together, a lot of people can fall through the cracks. And so this sense of justice for me and not judging people mm -hmm. and being able to give people what they need so that they can raise their children is where my passion comes from. Mm -hmm. And my three children then become my inspiration because I see what is possible mm -hmm. if you are able to have a loving, caring, making mistakes, right? There is no we, there is no manual to how to do this, but to be able to have the supports that you need. And so I think when I went into child welfare as a career where people's most worst parenting moments. Something mm -hmm. happens and your children get put into foster care. I was intrigued by, did we really think a system was going to be able to raise kids better? No. And so, and when I was able to see that it was only happening in certain communities, I was like, what I issues of discrimination are coming on? How are black mothers looked at differently than other mothers? So all of that is what inspired me. I met Jeff Canada when I was at ACS. And I love the work that he was doing in a community where he was going to say, what do children need? And we would say, Carol, for our kids, they need everything until they don't anymore, <laughs> right? But we want to give the most vulnerable children in our country one little program, one little worker, one little thing. And Jeff was like, no, we're going to give it to them all for as long as they need it. And mm -hmm. there was something that resonated, and I felt passionate about that. So that is what the Harlem Children's Zone does. It takes... People who are not perfect in unperfect situations with not a lot of resources and says, you should have access to the American dream in the same way that everybody else does. Your mm -hmm. kids should have a great education. You should be able to have access to healthy foods and a good park and all of those things that we would want for our children. Mm -hmm. And I will say, Carol, one of the greatest things, so yes, I have skills now. I have learned a lot after 13 years in child welfare and 11 years now at the Harlem Children's Cell. But the main thing that I think I bring to this is when someone wants to make a decision for a kid that they would never make for their own child is what would you want for your own child? Mm -hmm. Does that classroom look the way that you would want it? Is this after school program and that person the kind of person that you would send your child to? And if it's not, then it's not good enough for our kids at the Harlem Children's Zone. Mm -hmm. And that that fundamental way of looking at doing this work, I think, is what's changing what's happening in communities all around, um, poor communities, where mm -hmm. people think that there's some kind of different standard that they, those parents want for their children. That's so true. And as I have said to you before, I actually think, because I know a lot about what the Harlem Children's Zone does, that the standard that you guys are setting is actually one we should aspire to. And I will come back to my favorite conversation about the, the zone, and that is the baby college, yes. which is this amazing program that takes uh, families that are about to have children and yes. families with children from zero to three. And it, they, it's, it is what it says it is. It teaches parents how to be better parents. Correct. And so I love two things about this. And the second thing is what I want you to talk about. The first thing, obviously, is that it exists because we all know that we need this help. As you said, you 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 come home with a baby, and yeah. then it's sort of you know you're on you your own. If you don't have a midwife, professional nurse, mom, 
<laughs> from Trinidad and Tobago. Yes, exactly. The Caribbean flair. You, you may not know what you're doing. Right. But so not only is this information provided, but it is provided in a way that makes, encourages and, and helps and makes people who need it come to it. Because, I mean, I believe in baby college for all. But as you have pointed out, there, not only do you have to know how, what information to provide, but you have to know how to provide information to people that need it. And, and in this instance, young parents, regardless of their socioeconomic background, are standing in the same bewildered Correct. place. Correct. Now, maybe some of the students in the baby college have more barriers to being able to get to the answers, but everyone has Correct. a barrier of, of ignorance at that point. And, and could you talk a little bit about how you think about um, getting the, the, the leadership part of what you do, and that yeah. is helping people without judging them understand that they could be helped. So this is why the Baby College is the, one of the most magical um, programs at the Harlem Children's Zone. We took, Jeff Canada took the, what does the science say about brain development? What's the information that we need to get to our community and that we assume that maybe some people don't have? Why is it important to read to your babies? People would say, Miss Ann, why am I reading to the baby? The baby can't understand me. And I'm like, no, but this is what happens to their brain when you're reading to them. And they're like, oh, because who doesn't want their baby in the baby college? I haven't met anybody. <laughs> Even the local drug dealers are like, Miss Ann, can we get my kid into the baby college? Yes, we can get your kid into the baby college. And so... There's first, what does the science say? And then it's like, culturally, what's happening for us? So there were a lot of people who were like, Miss Ann, um, I used to get whipped when I was little, and that's what I'm going to do. And unless I could give them an alternative and say, well, why maybe that was worked then in a certain way, but this, how it could be hurtful, and I want you to do something different. And they would say, white people do timeouts. We don't want to do that. And I was like, all right, we're going to come up with another word to call it. But this is why it's important. So this idea of... And then who's teaching the classes? So no offense, but if it is a white blonde woman who lives in a community that's not like theirs, they might think, what does she really know about what my grandmother has taught me about whether or not I should be giving them solids at four months and mixing it in with the formula? And so having people from the community who look like them, who went through the similar struggles, really is another, another key point about the outreach and then who does the curriculum. You mentioned it, being non-judgmental. And saying, listen, we all are here and we are all learning. I think it is the reason why we've had probably over 80 cycles, a class is 100 people in a class. And so we've graduated over 8,000 families oh. in this community. And Amazing. we are changing the way people think about parenting. And dads, by the way, we have really increased um, African-American men who people are like, oh, they're not there. They don't want to be dads. And so we've really um, opened that up also. So I'm very proud of that. As well, you should be. And and as whenever I hear you talk about this, I just it can, hits me over and over again how everything you said is applicable to parents everywhere. Correct. And and so, baby college stands as um, as an example of of the importance when you think about parenting of thinking about it as something that you can learn, something that that you're. No disadvantage from anyone else because yep. you're all coming into this with the same sort of non-factual information. I mean, you can read, but when the little baby is in your hand, yep. this little baby who's different than every other little baby, you need some help. 
And And can I add this, Carol, that we were recently talking about, um, you know, we now have 924 young people who are in college. And what I'm seeing from some of the parents is the loneliness that they're going through when they have an empty nest or not understanding because some of them didn't go to college themselves. Like, wow, I need a parenting group for some of our young people who are in college right now. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this idea that developmentally you need supports and there's so much for you to learn as you're raising kids is something that we've even started to think about. So it goes back to your point about you and I can talk about what is it like to have, you know, our youngest in college and we have each other. But for many people, they don't have that. And just we just expect that people know what does it mean to parent a young adult? Absolutely. And part of the reason why I do this podcast, part of the reason I do this blog, I'm passionate about this work because the ability to talk with other people without judgment, but with a goal towards trying to examine a problem and resolve it is what parenting should really be about. Correct. And, and finding groups in which you can do that comfortably tr- with trust, because trust is really important, yep. is is sort of uh, my soapbox. And it's this revolutionary thing to think that we can do that in a whole community, right? The Harlem Absolutely. Children's Zone is like, no, we're not just parenting behind closed doors. It How you parent affects an entire community, and we want to strengthen that community, and we're going to start at this place about what does it mean to really be a parent. Absolutely. You know, that t- it takes a village. It certainly does. But it's a better village if you've got people in the village who know what they're doing. (laughs) Yes, that's very helpful. Yes. (laughs) So I want to turn, there's so much to talk with you about, but I want to turn a little bit more inward. And and as I said, your, um, the confidence that you exude just personally is is inspirational. It really, whenever I can't leave a conversation with you without feeling a little better about myself, about having been in your company. And We've, we talked a little bit about, I was trying to get at that secret sauce, and, oh. and one of the things that you've talked to me about is what, what you talk to the people at The Zone about as mm-hmm. well, and you, I really like this concept of um, best selves to, to best, best served, served, and if you could explain that a little bit. Okay, so one of the things, and I think many of us have it, is that people who nurture or people who work with with in communities or social services, and in a similar way with parents, have a tendency to burn themselves out that you give, 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 you're just kind of putting your head down and in you're in sort of automatic pilot. And I have really felt for a very long time, I remember thinking, wow, I'm getting up at these crazy hours with this baby. I'm, and I'm a pretty selfish person. They're bringing out this other part of myself that I didn't even realize that I had. But this instinct of mine that, but I still need to be a little selfish, that if I'm not healthy and if my mind is not right and if I'm too tired, I might be picking up, giving her something in the bottle that I shouldn't (laughs) be or I'm not paying attention or the water's too hot, all of those things. And so I think I got that very early. So this idea about how do you take care of yourself when self-care, especially I would say for a lot of women, a lot of black women, is something that is taboo. Our mothers didn't do it. What does that mean? And self-care doesn't just mean you're getting a manicure and getting your hair hair done. It means, can you be quiet to hear your thoughts? Is your heart racing all the time? Do you know what's going on in your other relationships, your partner relationships and with your family? And so I have introduced that to the Harlem Children's Zone to all of my leaders, which is that you all are required and I demand of you to take care of yourself because if you are not taking care of yourself, I promise you, you are not bringing your full self to the children and the families that we have to serve. And it's been my kind of slide way of getting mental health and well 
illness into a discussion in a population where mental health issues are very stigmatized and where this idea of of um, self-care seems weak mm-hmm. amongst a, a bunch of people who consider themselves joyful warriors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, that certainly goes beyond the people in the zone. I mean, correct. And in the African-American community, uh, mental health care has been really stigmatized. And I, I can't say enough about the importance of finding a way to know yourself as you are a parent, yes. um, as you begin parenting and as you parent, because if you, and, and however you do that, if it's meditation, if it's therapy, if it's faith, however you take the time to be still yeah. and know yourself, yeah. because so much of the way that we react to our children stems from things that have nothing to do with them. And I'm going to add whoever we might be co-parenting with, absolutely, which then affects them also. And I think this concept, whether you want to call it therapy, whether what whatever you want to call it, most of the time, and you'll know that when you're in the midst of it, you don't feel like you have any time for that. And then usually a crisis comes and then you go into therapy because of a crisis. I want people to think of it as like a personal trainer that you're like, I want to be healthy and I could probably do these push-ups on my own, but there's some discipline around it that I want to put into my life. And that's the way that I look at therapy, that it really helped me to understand what did, you know, what was my mom's parenting style? What did that stuff with my dad? How did that affect that? And then how are films? and I coming together to really parent these three amazing children. What are we doing right? What could we be doing better? And just about me in general so that I can be my best self so that mm-hmm. I can really serve in the way and fulfill my purpose. Mm-hmm. And I would say that goes, it goes particularly for people who are working with communities of children, but it goes for everybody because we're all doing things. I that, think you could be right. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't, it, it doesn't just... It's not just what we're doing um, professionally. We're all doing things. We are. But no, the, the reason why I think that that point is important, though, and, and it's your point about parenting, is because we affect this little one. This six-year-old is, we have them, right? They're not just widgets or cans of Cokes <laughs> or, you know, like a car. And so I feel that about the my workers because our product, our instruments are ourselves and we're working with human beings. Mm-hmm. And so that means that our mood and our effects and how we speak, our tone is going to affect them. So, yes. Absolutely. So we're going towards the wrap-up, but I have just a few more questions. Okay. I want to know, because we haven't talked that much about your parenting, your, okay. of your darling, amazing children. Yes. And so I kinda, I've got sort of two sides of the uh, same question, sort of what do you feel like you got really right? And what – give me just an example of when, when did you have to parent outside your comfort zone? When is parenting ever inside your comfort zone, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like I um, – knew what I was doing. But I do agree with you. I actually think I have been a really great mom. And so um, when you just saw me a few minutes ago, you said, what are you doing? And I was listening to something that Kobe Bryant said, and they were asking him about coaching his daughter. And he was like, you know, I feel like my job is to ask questions and not to really get in there and call a play and to micromanage, but to sit back and to ask questions so that they can figure out how they want to play. And that's how he says, um, that's how you get them to be long long-term good players, not just in the short term. And it resonated with me. This idea of Phil and I could tell the kids what to do and be sort of directive. But I think we spent a lot of time asking questions and Mm -hmm. having conversations Mm -hmm. and helping them to be independent thinkers, good decision makers, 
asking them what they were feeling, why they were feeling it. And I I think that has been some of the secret sauce, not acting like we have all the answers. And I could probably count on my hands the amount of times when we've had to say, no, absolutely not. You can't do that. But most of the time, if you're working your Jedi mind tricks and if you raise them the way you want to, they get to there. To Not to be flippant about your second question. There have been topics that have come up. I won't even say them because they will listen to this where I have not had an answer. And I then strategically go back and say, well, what questions do I need to ask Ayana so that she can figure this out for herself? Or I think that this is a real mistake. So why could she even be thinking about that? And so I do think that I try to think about my conversations with them Mm-hmm. Before I say something so that I am eliciting the right information mm-hmm. so that we can really come to a good conclusion. And I think Phil and I do that very well together. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of joy and laughter. I really enjoy mothering. I think I have a lot of fun with it and is the thing that I probably enjoy the most in my life. So I think I bring that joy to it and that makes it much more successful, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely agree. And I just have to say a couple of things on that. Um, I, too, enjoy mothering, I think, more than... I mean, we share that. <laughs> yeah, we're like, we're kind of obsessed with our kids, <laughs> yes. And, and but when I hear you say that, it, it enables me to take ownership of that in a much more positive way than I have had, than I've been able to, because as a lawyer, as a trained yes. professional who spent more time mothering than I did professionally working, right? there's always this sense of um, the road not traveled, right. but... Only recently have I begun to really own my joy in this process. I mean, it it, it is, um, it really, it it's can odd. be. It's odd. And I think it's because maybe we don't want to get pigeonholed right. or we think that it's kind of trite or something. And so being like, no, I actually am having a lot of fun raising my kids. <laughs> People are like, oh, but you're the, you, you know, you run the Harlem Children's Zone. Yeah. And I think I've said this to you before. Didn't Obama say, someone said to him, what have you enjoyed the most or what's the most important thing? And he said something like raising his two girls. And everyone's like, we know it's not that. You know it was being the leader of the free world. And there was a part of me that was like, no, maybe he actually has taken a lot of joy in raising his two girls, right? And and I, I agree with you. I had a, a second take on that as well. Okay, though. go ahead. Tell me. And that is that if a woman had said oh, that. Oh, no. A woman would have, could never have said that, right? <laughs> I mean, I believe him. And I believe that's right. And I love that that is the case for him. Right. It's just that any prof- any CEO nope. of any operation, if they said that to her and she said raising my... <laughs> I don't even know that she would open her mouth to say that. They would have been like, is it too late to fire you now? Because clearly you don't have the passion for your work if you thought raising your kids was more important than this job. Exactly. <laughs> and then one other thing that I wanted to touch on, you talk about the co-parenting, the importance of co-parenting. Yes. And again, a little light bulb went on when you were talking. In my household, I'm definitely, while I don't want to tell my children what to do, I'm more inclined in that direction uh, because I uh, can see what mm, I think they should be doing. Mm. I want them to come to it, but I kind of have a vision. Mm-hmm. So you pair me with my husband, who is the um, champion of laissez-faire parenting, <laughs> in, in the sense of he left home to go to boarding school at 14. Right, right. So from 14 years on, oh, and, and naturally, he was very decisive. So he grew up in a world where basically he consulted Kids, himself can out. first. Yes. Right. He believes they can figure things out. And his attitude is they should be able to figure it out. Yeah. And I think the benefit for our children has been the combination of those two, because I can only think of what could happen if my children were right. left to figure everything out, as right. they might have been with him alone, right. or if they just had me, who was really trying to sort of not not follow them every step of the way, but definitely follow them many steps of the way. I yep. think 
I think that, and, and, and in households where there's one parent, that parent needs to work extra hard to get a lot of input from other people. Correct. Because there's this, to, it's always good to have a lot of different opinions, not what you should be doing day to day, but just in terms different of... Different perspectives. Right, different perspectives. Yes. And just to help you stay grounded in whatever you think. A hundred percent agree oh, with you. I could talk to you all day. We'll have to have this you back for, for part two. But <laughs> unfortunately now it has to come to a close. So, but before it does... You have to participate in the Ground Control Parenting bonus round. Okay, I'm ready, <laughs> I think. Yes, so just three quick questions. Your favorite poem? So I was thinking about this, and you're going to be like, this is cheating, but I think it's um, the 23rd Psalm of the Bible. That's not cheating. Okay. That's not cheating I was cheating like, David was a poet, right? Exactly. Okay, no, so no, I no, do. That I is think not that is my favorite at poem. All. Great. Your top two favorite children's books? So, um, again, it's going to be um, Brown Bear. Do you mm-hmm. remember the yes. children's book, Brown Bear, Brown Bear? Because it was just, I, Philip and I read it over and over again. I love um, Are You My Mother, which was oh my gosh. one of my favorites. One of my favorites, too. I can and see the cover now. The last one was um, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, <laughs> Did You Do the Whatever. So I just feel like I got the most joy raising, you know, reading those to my kids. Oh, great. So we got a bonus one. All those are amazing books. Okay. And then finally... Your favorite TV or film parent? So this one kind of um, stumped me a little bit. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to cheat. Okay. So I, I can't remember in the past, but I think recently when I look on television, one of the people that I love the most and I kind of enjoy and kind of reminds me of myself is the grandmother on Blackish. <laughs> because I think that she's got an edge. She loves her baby boy very much. Clearly, her grandchildren are very important to her. She has a tentative relationship with her daughter in law. But that strength of her and that edge is something that I re- uh, relate a lot to. Yeah. So that's. That is my favorite right now. That is a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Robin. You're welcome. For being with us today. And thank you for your great parenting insights. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. In the meantime, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at www.groundcontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. Please send comments and questions on any of these platforms because we really want to hear from you. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.